You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit fullyloadedchew.com. Welcome back everybody for another episode of the Michigan Life Outdoor Podcast. As always, thanks for being here. A little bit of housekeeping right off the bat. If you haven't done so, yet make sure you subscribe to the podcast on itunes spotify stitcher wherever you listen to podcasts we are there and also to make sure to head on over to instagram and follow us over there on michigan life outdoors that's my life outdoors on instagram so yeah if you could do all that that'd be super cool all right we're gonna get into this episode with dan johnson dan johnson joins the podcast who is you guys may or may not have heard of him but the host of the Nine Fingers Chronicle podcast that's been a you know a white tail podcast that's been up for many years. Dan has done a great job with that, has built a great following, and he is also the founder of the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, where you can find a variety of all types of podcasts, including this one, on the podcast network. Um, so make sure you guys head on over there to see all the podcasts, all the content, all the great things that you can learn from the Sportsman's Nation podcast. Dan jumps on today to basically just shoot the shit with me. Uh, we talk about his vacation, his upcoming season, his experience hunting Michigan last year, and much more. So uh, without any further ado, here's Dan. Hey, thanks for A, agreeing to do the podcast, especially on such a short notice. You just got back from vacation, right? Yeah, today, about uh, 2 o'clock, I believe it was. How was vacay? We went to the Wisconsin Dells. Oh, all right. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. It's cool. Uh, the kids had a good time and that's really all that matters. That's all honest. it is, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And the wife's happy. So, right. So it's a right. vacation. My brownie points are damn near full before the season starts. So I was going to say um, that jar has got to be really full because you know, it's going to go quick. Yeah. I'm uh dude. I'm ready. I'm Jack about it. So, yeah. So, Hey, real quick, what, uh, what hunts do you have planned this year? So I have Nebraska mule deer, South Dakota mule deer, Iowa, um, rut obviously. And then depending on if I, if I tag out or if I tag out early, 
I might drop down to Missouri for a Missouri rut hunt before their rifle season starts. Oh, wow. How do you plan these things out ahead of time? I mean, there's so many options. Like what, what's your, do do you kind of put out a goal every year, like outside of whitetail to chase? Yeah. So elk and mule deer are on the top of the list just because I haven't had any type of, of, uh, experience. And I, you know, I've killed, I've, I've killed whitetails before. I just, I want to expand into a different market, so to speak. And, uh, I'm really just in the market now for an elk or a mule deer. And I put in like six preference points for Wyoming for, uh, Uh, for an elk hunt this year i didn't draw it and so i said to myself i can do diy colorado over the counter or i can try my hand at a mule deer in a different state other than south dakota and so now i'm just kind of uh, i think i just made made my mind up actually on friday of last week where i'm just like dude i I think i'm just gonna go to to nebraska and give it a shot so i've recently just been doing a lot of research on uh, Nebraska and where to hunt within that state for muleys. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's cool that you keep switching it up. Like I know you went to, was it North Dakota or South Dakota two years in a row to kind of chase muleys. But, um, you know, I think if you keep changing it up and go to different States, you know, I think you can learn a lot from that, that you can take to other States as well. So if it clicks for you, uh, you know, in Nebraska or whatever, that might help carry over into your, your Dakota hunts. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, well, this is a good topic to kind of just lead into since this is, you know, the Michigan Life Outdoors podcast, but tell every folk or tell everyone the hunt that you went on last year and how you came to that decision to come to our great state of Michigan. <laughs> yeah, I, I've shared this story before, but it was straight up peer pressure, right? Okay. So back when I was a regular and I was the co-host on the Wired to Hunt podcast, I you know, everybody's like, Oh, you know, you're, you don't know how lucky you are in Iowa. Iowa's the best. And it is great. Don't get me wrong. I love hunting Iowa, but everybody's like, you should, you should go hunt Michigan. You got to give Michigan a try. Do you know, stop being a pussy, go hunt Michigan. (laughs) You know, like I'm like, okay, finally, I just said, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm just going to go hunt Michigan. And, uh, I went mid October last year and, you know, I had a little intel from some guys I know that uh, are up in that neck of the woods and, uh, you know, just did a lot of digital scouting, looking for places to hunt. Got some, you know, hooked up with another guy uh, that was out there and we, we did a couple hunts together on a on a pretty good piece of public ground. And uh, I saw three or four deer the whole time. So <laughs> it was uh, it was just something that, you know. I don't know. You put, you put somebody in the same scenario every single time and they're eventually going to figure it out and they're eventually going to start killing good deer. And, uh, just like South Dakota and Nebraska and Colorado and some of the other places that I've been in Iowa, I wanted to give, you know, I wanted to give it a try. And, uh, that, along with the peer pressure just kind of made me say, okay, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go give Michigan a try. What expectations did you have coming into it? Whether that be deer population or just the type of hunting, like what, what had you heard prior about those two subjects? I mean, I know, I know people say, you know, come give Michigan a shot, but like get more specific. Yeah. So here's what I heard from Michigan. Good numbers, shitty bucks. (laughs) 
like, yeah, there's no like, but no bucks there, you know, you might see a spike and even then he's going to be walking around the tree looking up at you. Right. All right. And, uh, so, you know, I got, I put myself, uh, in, in a, in a position where I had zero expectations going into, into the hunt, uh, into that four or five day period that I was going to be up there. And I'll tell you this, man. Um, I, I went in to do straight run and gun on public ground. I got offered some private ground to hunt and I really just wanted to, I don't know, test my skills. I didn't, and at the same time, I didn't want to get, give anybody an excuse if I did shoot <laughs> to a, give you shit. <laughs> right. So it's like, Hey, I shot a buck, but then everybody's like, well, you did it on private buddy. That doesn't count. Right. Yeah. So, so I wanted to go and just, jump into a piece, a couple pieces of public. And, uh, you know, it was, it wasn't necessarily the best weather conditions. It wasn't the best, I don't know, uh, time of year, I guess you could say. I kind of wanted to, cause I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to go to Michigan during the rut and yeah. miss out on, uh, the best time of the year to be in a tree stand in Iowa. Sure. Right. Yeah. That'd be so, cool. and I was in between a, um, a South Dakota mule deer hunt. So there was a, a two week period where I just had like a, a five day long weekend, you know, two days on the front, a day on the back and, uh, decided to go to Michigan in the middle of the month. That way I could be home for a week and a half before I jumped to my, you know, my, my, my rut hunt. So right. to speak, sometimes that can take four days. Sometimes that can take 14 days, depending on, uh, what the deer situation is where I hunt. And, uh, other than that, I mean, I, like I said, man, zero expectations. I just wanted to put myself in the best possible, uh, position to shoot anything that made me get excited. And, right. uh, it, you know, long story short, it just, I passed, I passed some does that were kind of, uh, they were jumpy to be honest with you, when I, when they came by my stand, but then there was a spike that kind of came by too. And I don't remember if I had a clear shot at him or not, but, uh, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to try to pull the trigger on him. Plus it was kind of last light. And, uh, then other than that, nothing, I didn't see any, any deer, uh, in, in some of these spots. So, well, a couple of things. One, I want to commemorate you for sticking to your guns and going to public land when you're here, right? So that's awesome that you didn't give into the yep. peer pressure of private, because that then I then I think your you know your Michigan experience would have been a lot different. You know, anybody who has the the option to hunt private here in in Michigan is really it's it's a great opportunity to grow big bucks. Um, you know, to have them to a mature size that you want to, but you know, that public land is the public land here is extremely different. Um, even from some of the surrounding States that even I've hunted outside of Michigan and you're right. You know how you talk about like, um, you said the deer, the, even the does are like really spooky and jumpy. Yeah. I, I have found that like, even when I go to different States like Ohio or something like that, the deer behavior down there, you can tell they're less pressured. And, mm -hmm. and I think like hunting, hunting in the state of Michigan, one, you know, we have a, we have a shit ton of hunters 
and even though like prior to COVID, those populations were declining every year. But if you compare it to other state at one point, I think in 2018 or something like that, we were third behind Texas and Pennsylvania for the most hunting licenses sold. So that's a lot yeah. of, pe- that's a lot of people in the woods. And I think that that does affect that the deer behavior and they do behave a lot differently. You know, it's just me being biased in our state versus when I go yeah. to other states to hunt. So it's, it's interesting yeah. that you had that same experience. Yeah, and I'll say this deer behavior is, is weird. You know, did the deer seem like they were more alert coming through the woods? Yes. But I have certain does on farms that I hunt here in Iowa that have multiple hunters on them, uh, act the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, and, and no one will agree with me when I say this, but I live next to two big city centers, uh, here in the state of Iowa and right in the middle of it is some, uh, some public get ground and it gets, it gets hammered during the the archery season. I, I mean, there's cars, multiple cars in every parking lot, just yep. like en- everybody ever sees, um, in let's just say Michigan, uh, there are people walking the same paths every day, people walking the whole area every day and they're bumping deer around just like every other piece. And I think to be honest with you, a lot of it, as far as, you know, cause, cause then what happens is nobody sees a big buck and then they say, Oh, hunting pressure or, you know, people not passing or whatever. And I, I, I was listening to this one guy, um, talk about deer and cover. And that's one thing that I noticed about Michigan, especially where I was hunting, where I feel like there was a lot of very quality cover for deer to live in, in Michigan, Mm -hmm. like really good and probably equal to, if not more, I know there's, I know there's more cover period in Michigan than there is in Iowa, right? Iowa is certain like the Northwest part of the state of Iowa. If you were to split the state of Iowa into four quarters, the Northwest of it is pretty much all or pasture. Okay. Or yeah. So not a lot of cover. Um, same with kind of the central. Now, once you get South of interstate 80, it's, that's when you start seeing the fingers, the big chunks of timber, the fingers of timber. That's where everybody wants to hunt. That's where the TV shows are filmed. That's where the Mecca of the whitetail world is at. Does it get more like hilly and rolly? So like, uh, you got more swamps, all that kind of stuff, you know, like you said, the dark timber and things like that. We get, what we have though, is we have these, we have, let's say a block of timber with fingers shooting out of it into a, a cornfield or ag field that's flat, oh, right? Gotcha. So okay. flat tops with, um, roll. And then we have really good river bottom systems yep. that all kind of work their way down through that there as well. So that is where all the covers at, but this guy was talking about how the, States like Wisconsin, states like Michigan, um, and uh, I think Minnesota, where they have their rifle seasons start in the middle of the rut. Yep. Now, I don't care one way or the other what you know what a guy says. Um, you know, you do whatever you want. This is just an observation. Iowa does not have that. Our first gun season doesn't open up until like the first weekend in. December. Okay. Okay. It's not, and it's only shotgun and straight wall cartridge rifles. 
For how many okay. days? Uh, so we have the first the first season. We call that first shotgun. That is like a five day or six day period, and then the second season shotgun goes two weeks roughly, and I think that's a twelve day season or something like that. Okay. It hits two weekends. So, and then after that, it goes back to late season muzzleloader and late season you know archery, and so. Michigan has cover. Wisconsin has cover. Minnesota has cover. And I think the big factor there that this guy was talking about was that that gun season right in the middle of the rut. You you push that back two, three weeks, and you guys would blow Iowa out of the water as far as the number of high-quality bucks coming out of those states because of everything that's getting killed um, during the rut. Yeah. And to be honest with you, people always say here in the state of Michigan that we don't have a true rut because it's interrupted by gun season. So, you know, in these videos that you see or you hear other guys like, wow, the ruts on it's in it's in full force. And oh, my God, they're just, you know, in Michigan, at least in my experiences, I've been hunting. I've seen I see the rut, I guess. You know, I mean, I think most Michiganders would would say that, but it's not like you kind of see in other states where when it's on, it's like, you know, the craziest thing you've ever witnessed. I think our rut is always interrupted every year. Like you said, during that rifle hunting guys starting to shoot their guns during, you know, the week prior sighting in a lot of guys going into their, their heated blinds for the first time, it gets interrupted in my opinion. And you're, and you're exactly right. Yeah. I would, I wouldn't say interrupted per se. I mean, that's a great observation, but it just gets moved to nocturnal. Right. Right. I mean, smart bucks, smart deer, they're not running around like idiots, even when they're the horniest out of control creatures that they, that they are. Right. I've seen mature bucks dogging does hard as possible, hit a wall ascent because I was set up in the wrong spot or the doe came on the downwind side of me and literally stop and wait. For, for like one hour before he popped up through uh through this little open area that i had a shooting lane in and then he's then there's no shot they're that like they can do that right now the one the two-year-olds they don't do that they'll just go right through and get shot every time right dude isn't that wild though like you know when it comes to, yeah, the only thing that you think is on their mind is reproducing, reproducing. But at the end of the day, number one is I still have to survive, right? I still have exactly. to, I still have to live. So those, in, those instincts, you know, take over if there's a smell, like you said, or something that is not right. They, even they can put it off and be like, ah, uh, that's a no go for me. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. that's super interesting. Yeah. And I agree. Yeah. Going to nocturnal, you know, like you said, or like I said, interrupted or just not what you see in other states, yeah. these, these deer are going to get smart and it's going to be, it's going to be happening in hours for, for big bucks during, during times that we're just not out there. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. now I'm, excuse me. I'm just not familiar with your guys's state policies and things like that. Can you guys, is a doe or shooting a doe, is it, it's not earn a buck, right? No, I was not earn a buck. But no. you can buy a separate doe permit? Yes. So it's all, does are based off quotas. Okay. Okay. So for a resident, no matter what, you get one statewide buck tag. Okay. Okay. And I, I can use that tag anywhere in the state of Iowa for a resident. 
But for does, it's quota driven by county. So in the county that I live in, which has a huge population of people, I can only buy one doe tag because they all get sold out. Oh, okay. But you go to the county that I grew up in, I can shoot as many does as I want. There's like uh, certain certain uh, counties have a 10,000 doe limit to where they have 10,000, 8,000, 6,000, whatever the county is. That's how many does the county allots. You take that out. Uh, once those tags are gone, they're gone. But not there's certain counties, the one that I grew up in, they never get sold out. So I could literally go and kill a hundred does if I wanted to out of that County. And I would, I could still keep going back and back and back and back and back. And, uh, until I had to go buy a deep freeze or my arms got tired. Gotcha. So what's your opinion on, or what do you tend to do when it comes to doe, uh, hunting? Do you like to take them early or do you like to, like, when do you like to harvest your doe or if you even do? Yeah, man, I tell you, I always screw myself to be honest with you because back in the day when I was hunting a lot more than I would now, I would go out specifically for doe hunts, right? I would, all right. You know, you know, like I know that a doe group's going to pop out on this field edge at 30 minutes or, or an hour before light and they're going to mill around here and I'm just going to shoot one. Well, now, because I'm taking out of state trips and I, I have to run the, the sportsman's nation and, and do the whole podcast thing, you know, I'm, I'm managing my own business here. Uh, the hunt, the hunting is the quality hunting is there, but the amount that I am. So every time that I go out, I put myself in the best possible position to shoot a buck. And I, I always say to myself, well, if a doe comes by tonight, I'm going to shoot her. And then a doe comes by and I'm like, man, it's, it's too good of, it's too good of a night to shoot a doe. I know the big one's going to come out any minute. (laughs) Exactly. It's feeling good, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I've, I've really stopped doing that and I, I identified that and I said to myself, this year, man, I am going to slaughter some does. Mm -hmm. Like I have a stand up deep freeze and I am going to fill that son of a gun up. And I'm gonna, dude. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to shoot three does. I think this year. No, I, I agree with you. I think it's important, and that I, I like to get people's opinions on it because I always find myself in the same position like you, you just did. Like, yeah, I'm gonna, dude. I want to get some meat in the freezer. I need to, I need to manage my doe population a little bit better. Like, this is the things that you think about going into season. Yeah. Then when you're out there, it could be something as stupid as yeah, that doe's in front of me, but you know, I got the kids soccer game tonight. So if I shoot one, you know what I mean? Like it's just right. stuff like that. You think right. about shit like that, right. but nobody's saying that on a, on a big buck when they, when that comes through. No, like, well, exactly. Every, uh, yeah, you got tunnel you know, vision. I kids soccer today. You know, I don't <laughs> yeah. think I should shoot this buck. <laughs> yeah, honey, I'm not coming. The big boy's down. Yeah. Um, but you know, one thing that I always found and I'm really going to like stress myself to do it this year is <clears throat> you, fi- you find yourself out there with these, mature does, right? I'm not talking about the ones that are like a year and a half, two years. I'm talking the ones that are like the full, alpha. Yes. And yeah. here and here's why I think you if you get an opportunity at one, especially during the first week, I think it's important to shoot it, at least in my eyes. And here's why. How many times have you been busted by a big doe, a mature one, 
And yeah. who knows where that buck is if he's nearby, even if you can't see him. As soon as she starts blowing off that warning or something like that, you just, I mean, she's just educated how many deer within that vicinity of like, hey, some shit's wrong here or whatever it is. Yeah. And I always say like, I kick myself in the butt because after that, she won't come in close enough sometimes for me to whack her. And so she'll stay without like in that 55 yard range or 50 yard range, but won't come in, but she'll stomp out there. Like every time she comes back, cause she knows something's up. So, yeah. you know, my advice is if you've got that opportunity and I'm really going to push myself to do it this year. And I feel like that doe is an old one that can bust me. I'm going to send an arrow right away because I want her off the property. <laughs> I like it. I like it, but I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Why is that? Because an old timer told me, dude, do ne- never shoot the lead doe. Never shoot her. What's, and I, yeah, go ahead. And I'm like, I don't know why, why, why not? Right. A doe, like I, in my eyes, a doe is a doe. Okay. Right. But he seems to think, and I've seen this and I've started, you know, to see this, the old mature does tend to go into heat first. Right. Yep. Uh, and so he, this guy's like, you want to, you want a pattern in that late October timeframe? Pattern that doe, pattern that lead doe, that big, mature four, five, six year old doe who is on a pattern every single night, right? You know, she's coming through, set up on her. And when she comes into heat, you best believe that there's going to be a buck behind her. And whether that is, and so basically you're using her as a, a trap for, sure. for that big, for that big buck. So back, you know, back before I could hunt late October timeframes, because I was saving all my money for saving all my PTO for the rut, I'd hop out and I'd go out and I'd set on some of these late October timeframes. And sure enough, this 27th, 28th, 30th, whatever of October, this doe pops out. Day one, nothing behind her. Day two, nothing behind her. Guess what? Day three, here comes the first buck. And that mature buck will definitely be the get the first dibs at the first doe that comes into heat. Yeah. I can no, I totally I could see your point of view on that yeah. too. Yeah. So for me, I'm just like, man, I, I do I'm I don't want to shoot the big mature doe because there's such an indicator for um when a big buck could potentially pop you know, pop into the picture here on a, on a farm. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, for me, I, if I'm going to shoot a doe, I'm going to shoot the, and typically when a, a line of does comes through, you know, tip, they're not typically by themselves per se. So I'm shooting the second or third one, right. The one that she had two years ago or whatever. So I'm always trying to, uh, shoot, I don't know, a different one, maybe a th- two or three year old. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the other important thing is like knowing your inventory of what's on your property too, or the area mm-hmm. that you're hunting. Right. I, I, I probably, I, I'm not saying I disagree with you, but I, it's almost like a theory that I want to test to see if it changes things up, but I yeah. might still get that, that old one off the property. Oh yeah. <laughs> we'll especially see. if, especially if she's keen. Yeah. Right. I, I, then that's the thing. You got to be tightened up then. So like, if you're going to yeah. leave that old doe out there, you better be, I mean, you better be playing the yeah. wind. Like you're going into like a bedding area for the first time and it's gotta be perfect. Like you can't just Absolutely. be like, Hey, it's five, th- it's five o'clock. I got off work early. I'm going to hurry up and bust out there. And, and the wind's not right. Like, all right, you better be, 
super methodical about how you're going in there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. But all right, right on. I'm glad we agree to disagree and test our theories. That'll be fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, the other thing that I wanted to pick your brain about, um, I know you, 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 you know, every, everybody hits the rut extremely hard and things like that. I once met a dude that says, and he had the, the wall to prove it, that he thinks the best time to, to go after your target buck a lot of the times is like the first two or three days of bow season. Yep. Like the very first week, even though, you know, when it's still 75 degree days or whatever it is, he likes to hit it hard that first week, get out there. And then he lets his wood sit for a while. I kind of wanted to get your opinion on that. That's great. If you have the ability to hyper-focus on the last week before opening day, right? like I don't know. I don't know the guy out there who's working uh, a full-time job who is going to sacrifice going after a buck on October 1st, 2nd, 3rd. If, if he, if he isn't putting in the time or cell cams or scouting right. or glassing, like all these things have to fall into play for that to happen the first couple you know days of the season. Mm-hmm. So you have to put in a shit ton of time to identify a target buck and find out his pattern for whatever weather pattern is going to be there for the, you know, whatever wind direction that's going to be there. So what happens if all of a sudden, you know, this deer's patterned on the, you know, let's say there's a North wind for three or four days and he's showing up on cell cam or trail camera, or you see him from your back porch or whatever, you're glass in a field and you see him. And then there's a huge wind shift and it's now Southeast, Mm -hmm. right? Is he still going to come to that same, that same area? And is that weather pattern going to shift before you have to go back to work in order to uh, get back that buck back? Are you going to bounce in the timber and, and potentially, have this deer. I mean, in order for that to work, in my opinion, you have to know the exact bed to feed pattern that this deer is running for, for multiple wind directions. Right. Yep. And some, some guys can do that. Some guys have the time to do that. I, I don't like right now, if I told my wife, let's say it's the last five days of September. And every single night I said, I'm going to go check trail cameras or I have the ability to check trail cameras on a four wheeler. I don't have a four wheeler. Uh, do I have the ability to get out there every single night and check cams or glass fields? I would burn some bridges doing that. Oh, yeah. I, I just, unless you live on your property or you have something just dead tight to me, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going after a buck that I don't know is there. Right. So you have, I mean, is it possible? Absolutely. But you have to be on point and you have to have that deer on lock before you jump into the timber and just play a guessing game. Yeah. And I think, like you said, if you have it on lock and you do your research with the wind and everything like that, I think you have a great opportunity if everything aligns in that first day or two. But yeah. if it doesn't, I wouldn't push it after that. But I yeah. thought that was something, you know, to bring up that a lot of people can start to think about, like, you know, the, you know, opening day of bow, 
you know, the other thing too is don't go into your spot for the first night of bow just because it's bow season and blow out your spot. You know what I mean? Like really think about that because like you said, that target buck that has been there could get blown out if the, if the situation isn't right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then he could be gone for the rest of the season. Who knows? He might be like, well, that was my safe spot, but now it's not anymore. And I have, a, a, a you know, 30 other spots that I can run to. But yeah. if, if those, those, those weather conditions are right, maybe give it that all day hunt. If you can, if you do have some PTO to burn that first day, sit in that spot. If the wind direction is just perfect or whatever it is, could be a good shot at your, your buck that you have on camera all summer long. Yeah. Another great example of what you're kind of talking about is, and this is, I've seen this happen a lot in the past, especially through social media, right? You get guys out there, it's October 10th and this cold front is coming through an area and they're like, okay, boys, get in the woods. Cold front's coming through. Oh shit. That blows up on social media when a cold front's yeah. coming through. Yeah. Cold front's coming through October 10th or whatever. Yeah. Dude, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't know why people get so excited about cold fronts coming through on a time when it's not even like, it's not even close to breeding season yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So now, so now everybody's thinking, oh dude, do I need to take work off and get in this cold front? I've hunted a lot of cold fronts throughout my life. And I'm telling you right now, just because a cold front because that comes through doesn't mean deer are going to get off their asses and make their way to a food plot or a food plot or a cornfield or whatever an hour and a half hour before shooting light on the first week of October. Right. It, it just the breeding season when it when we start getting into that late time frame and that cold front comes through, then I think we have something, but not. I, I think it's less effective on the early part of October. Yeah. It's one of those trends that everybody thinks, like you said, if it's a post on social media, they feel like obligated, like they have to get out to the woods. And that's what I think we're as hunters, we got to start to slow down. And I know our time is limited. A lot of us that have our jobs and things like that. And, you know, that's why it's, it, it's important to, you know, maybe it's okay to go to a public land spot then and save your private land spot for those perfect wind conditions. And if you really have to get that itch or scratch that itch to get out hunting, you know, do it in an area that you don't mind or feel as, um, you know, bad about going to if, if you were to screw up in some, in some fashion, but yeah. you're, you're right. When those posts happen and things like that, what does everybody do? Next thing you see, you're like I'm in the stand for this cold front or something like that. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, shit might not be the right conditions. Yeah. And you know, it, I don't know it. <laughs> social media is, is fascinating to me. These, uh, it, how people jump on board someone who has, let's, let's just say there's this guy out here who's got 20,000 likes. Now he becomes an expert right. just because he's got, has a huge following, whether he's killed deer or not, you know, this, they look at that and they go, Oh man, well, this guy says, maybe I should do it. That guy has never hunted your farms. He's never hunted the piece of public that you hunt. He doesn't know the terrain, right? All he's doing is sharing, uh, information from his experiences and not your experiences. Right. So that's why I'm always, I always tell people, dude, you got to tread lightly when blindly following predictions and, um, information coming from someone because a guy in Pennsylvania hunts different than a guy in Missouri or a guy in 
Minnesota hunts different from a guy in Georgia or Alabama. And it's just, you, you got to be able to, to use your own thought process to, to make decision and, and not listen to anybody else. Yeah. Which is, a, a, you know, an important point that I always make to people is like, when, when I say like, it's great to, you know, obviously follow a podcast or, but my always, my opinion is always like, listen to as many as you can gather as yeah. much information as you can, and then use that as a tool. Like, you know, like open conversations like you and I had just been have, having, we disagreed on some things, but agreed on other things. Like there's situations with what we both yeah. said could work in anybody's scenario. If the, you know, if the conditions are right and that's what people have got to be more open to rather than just following trends of what they read all the time. And like, you know, uh, you know, whitetail unlimited magazine or something like that. Like those articles are great, but there's, you can't just, it's never Bible. There's nothing thing that there's nothing that's just Bible all the time. Like you've got written in stone. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got to be able to make those distinctions for yourself, whether that's in your state, in different areas of your state and things like that. It's super important just to, to listen to as much content as you can driving to work or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah. So moving on another big thing that I've noticed about you is, you lost some pounds, buddy. You tightened. <laughs> you tightened up a little bit. What sparked that? Well, I'll tell you what, man. So I went out to Colorado for a couple of years, and the first year, obviously elk, I, right? September elk. Yeah, elk. Okay. Yep. September elk. Yep. And I got into some shape, and I, I worked my ass off to get, it was like 2016 and no, it's 2017 and 18, I think it was, or 18 and 19. And then 2020, I didn't go, um, I didn't go out there. I think, yeah, it's like this whole COVID deal. Like my years are even mixed up. Oh yeah. Right? We're all in the fall. So, right. Right. So, uh, I went out two years in a row and I was decent shape, but then I kind of realized like, dude, if you want to the the amount of ground you have to cover and the deadfall that I was climbing over. It's like, I need to be in better shape. Right. So I, I 2020 or 2019 elk season was over. I wasn't doing any more fitness routines. I I knew I wasn't going back to elk hunt the, the next year. And I ended up, uh, basically just being a fat piece of shit and eating no diet. And then like, my wife, she started taking this fitness program. Mm -hmm. And so on this fitness program, my wife started getting like ripped and she was doing like, she can still do way more push-ups than I can. It's crazy. (laughs) And And she turns into this badass, right? Yeah. And then for father's day last, it was one year ago, father's day, she bought me a membership to this, the same fitness place. And I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna give it a try. So the first four weeks just sucked major. Like they suck, dude. Like just detox you know, time, right? Yeah. Like everything detox. physically, yep. you know, physically yep. muscles I'd never used before. Um, you know, my, I have bad knees from previous sports injuries. Uh, you know, just old, like just, I haven't been taking care of my body and I, I changed my diet and there were some ups and downs throughout this past year don't get me wrong because I hurt my elbow and I couldn't lift as much. I couldn't do the cardio as hard. Um, I wasn't 
Like I, I went on a really good diet and then I came off of it and kind of ate whatever I wanted again. And then like this last, I want to say four or five months, I went through about, no, eight, I'm trying to think of these last 24 weeks, basically, I said to myself, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life before this upcoming season. Cause I didn't know if I was going to draw this Wyoming elk tag or not. Mm-hmm. I've been saving up seven years worth of points on it or six years worth of points on it. And I said, if I draw this, I don't want my physical fitness to be the excuse why I didn't get an elk, right? Because it's going to take seven years to hunt this unit again or whatever. So I changed my diet and diet for me at my age, I'm 40, almost 41. Diet is huge. Like diet is probably 90% showing up and working out is the other 10% just showing up. What kind of diet changes? Like, are you saying to yourself like, okay, so like, you know, like a complete diet overhaul. Overhaul. So, so change yeah. every, any type of way you were eating prior. Okay. Yeah. So like, I was that guy who, you know, pot of spaghetti for supper, you go back for seconds, you go back for thirds, right? Right. I started watching calorie intake. I pretty much cut out sugar. I pretty much cut out booze. Now on the weekends, I would give myself some slack. So I didn't like cut myself off 100% from it. Right. But I would, I just kind of changed it. And I said to myself, dude, you, you got, you have to if you go down this road, you're going to be 300 pounds before you know it. Right. And so I started off one year ago at about 240, probably the worst, worst shape of my life. Just wasn't doing anything. And then now, uh, you know, I'm, I weighed in two Fridays ago and that's up cause I just got back from vacation. But <laughs> yeah. It's, I it's weighed understandable. In at, at, right. I weighed in at 198 oh, and nice. I mean, I ate chicken. I ate, deer meat, I ate rice and I ate vegetables and, and drank a shit ton of water. And really that's all I did for 24 straight weeks. And, uh, like I said, weekends would come, I'd eat some chips and salsa. I'd have a couple, you know, I'd have some bourbon and some beer. Uh, but like reducing my, my alcohol intake and reducing my, uh, my sugar intake were probably, the biggest things to actually losing weight and then just committing to the fitness program and working out five to six days a week. And then what happens is this is, this is honestly extraordinary how the human body works. I went from dreading working out to dreading missing a workout. Yeah. You feel like that guilt if you miss it. Right. So this, I, I, I got back from my vacation today and me and my wife went to the the next possible fitness class that they had today. Yeah. And then you, you know, I, I love ice cream. I love chips and salsa and all the shit food that, you know, no, you sh- probably shouldn't have. And I eat that now and I'm like, man, I just sabotage myself. I need to eat some vegetables or I need to eat chicken mm. or something. like. I need to eat clean. And as I'm eating clean, my joints are feeling better. I stop snoring at night because I've lost weight. I have, um, my thoughts are cleaner and crisper and faster. So I, I make decisions. I'm less stressed. I'm less angry. Like it is crazy how this diet 
and this fitness program have not only changed me physically, but mentally as well. And it's something that I think I just, I'm just going to continue to commit to, um, and just call it a lifestyle change. Yeah. The thing that kind of like upset, not upsets me, but it's just like, you know, whatever, when people say you don't need to be, you know, in shape to hunt or you don't need, and I'm not, I'm not relating. You're right. And I'm not relating that to hunting, but I'm, I'm thinking like, man, but don't you want to live longer? Like, don't you want to feel better? Like, don't you want, like you might feel better when you hunt, but all the benefits of working out and being in in shape and, you know, changing your lifestyle is going to affect you the other nine months out of the year. And you're going to be everything that you just described. You're gonna be a happier person, less stressed, all that kind of stuff. And we all fall off the bandwagon with our diets and, you know, motivation. And I can just, I know exactly what you're talking about when you're eating like shit and you're gaining weight and things like that. You're moody, you're angry. You know what I mean? Like it's not fair to your, your kids, your family, all that kind of stuff. But you're right. And like you were just about to say, you do not have to be in shape for hunting. So the people that turn their nose up in the air when, when these kind of conversations come up, but if the opportunity comes up where a spot opens up where you could do a hunt out West or your buddies are all going for an over the counter out tag in Colorado and you've been wanting to go, don't you want to be like, yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I'm in. I, yeah. you know, you don't have to even think about your fitness. It's there. It's right. ready to go. Like you can do it. I mean, and I think like you said, when you incorporate it into your lifestyle and things like that, um, obviously fitness and hunting has been tied in uh, into a lot of businesses, a lot of, you know, yeah. social media things, which is great. But at the same time, I think like, yeah, you don't have to be in shape to hunt, but think about all the benefits that come outside of hunting. And that's where, yeah, that's the key take home. So that's good for you, man. Yeah. I posted a picture of my before and after on my Instagram stories uh, last week, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you need to be in shape, this kind of shape to, to go hunting? No, you don't. But the guy on the right, which was the the post, the the most recent in shape version of myself is going to out hunt the guy on the left every single day of the week. Yep. And, uh, he's going to hunt longer. He's going to hunt harder. He's going to be more focused. He's going to have more willpower, all that stuff. than the guy on the right, who's falling asleep in the stand, he's hungry. Like he's, he's only thinking about his next meal, like that kind of shit. Right. And, uh, and, 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 I guess I just want to be that guy. Now, one thing that I'm pretty proud of myself on is I, I didn't pull any douchebag moves and I didn't, <laughs> Let's hear it. Post, I, I didn't post a picture of my transformation every single day that I, you know, that I went through. I, all I did was I, I posted the end, the last picture and said, here's what I've done. And I've had, I had some guys uh, message me and they're just like, Hey, congrats, congrats, buddy. Also, thank you for not blowing up my Instagram feed with all this, uh, workout stuff. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been turning everybody off. Exactly. Right. Right. No, I think you did it the right way. I mean, and then you can see the transformation results a lot better that way. If you just do it like every single week or every month, whatever it is, everyone's gonna be like, okay, Jesus Christ, Dan's losing weight. Okay. Exactly. We get it. We get it. Eat chicken. We get it. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think that's, uh, I mean, good for you. And it'd be interesting to, to hear at the end of the season with all the hunts you got lined up, you know, just take a mental note or oh, yeah. sh- share with everybody. Like, how did you feel? Like how, how did your hunting change? Cause like, really you haven't been in this great of shape, um, you know, maybe in, in a few years when it comes to hunting. So it'd be interesting to hear your take on that and how you feel throughout the season and at the end. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this though. Okay. So last year I went out to Colorado, um, 
And like I said, I've been doing this fitness program for a year. So I've bounced up and down in weight a little bit, nothing too crazy. I, I was always around that 215 to 210 to 210 mark, mm-hmm. right? After, after I initially dropped down from 240 a little bit. And then, uh, and then I may be up to 220 because I hurt my, my elbow or wrist or something like that. And then I got back into it. But just being active, just being physically active, not even with a diet. Dude, I was crushing hills in South Dakota like nothing. Like, I mean, so I'm really excited to see what this September is going to be like now that I'm down an additional 10 pounds. And like I did a hike the other day where I, I put like 80 pounds on my back. And I, granted, Iowa and the hills that I was walking are not comparison to the mountains of Colorado, mm-hmm. but I breezed through it. And the last time I did those hikes with 80 pounds, I was struggling a little bit, right? I, I was getting real tired. So I'm feeling like, I don't know, I just feel great. And uh, a lot of it has to do with this fitness program. A lot of it has to do with my wife. And it's awesome when you can do something like that with a partner who is also has the same goals in, in the house as you do. Well, it holds you and accountable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we're both eating healthy. We're not drinking as much. We're not eating as much junk food. Uh, and we celebrate big wins. You know, when we, when we meet a goal or we have a really intense week of workouts, you know, we're going to go out to eat. We're going to have some ice cream and we're going to have some queso and stuff like that. So. Fuck yeah, dude. It tastes that much better than when you could celebrate. Absolutely. <laughs> and then I overeat like a motherfucker. <laughs> I, feel covered, I feel like shit the whole next day. <laughs> that's right. Well, there's, <laughs> then you got to hold yourself accountable all over again. Right. Right. Uh, that's good, man. Yeah. And, that, and I think uh, the adversity that you face in the field too, when you're hunting, I think the hunter, like you said, on the right in that photo is going to be able to handle adversity in situations a lot better than the one on the left. So, right. Right. You know, super important. All right. One more thing. And then I'll let you get out of here and get you back to your family. Um, obviously, you know, everybody listening to this, Dan is the, the CEO, founder, creator of the Sportsman's Nation podcast. Uh, a, how is that going? And B, what does the future look like? Yeah, man. I mean, you've, I share the numbers with everybody on the network. And, uh, so the last, you know, 2019 and 2020 were both huge years. I'm excited to see what 2021 brings. Um, but just the growth, the growth is awesome from a number standpoint. Right. Mm -hmm. But what, what I enjoy most out of all this is the community that we're building. Yeah. Uh, whether it's someone like the Missouri woods and water podcast, the Michigan podcast, the, the, uh, Wisconsin podcast. We got nationwide podcasts. We got guys who are, are passionate about coon hunting. We got uh, Western hunts. We got you and, and, uh, you know, being from Michigan and, and you do the fishing podcast as well. We got guys from the South. I mean, we, we have this community of people who are all in a way intertwined. And that is my favorite thing about this. It's not necessarily about the numbers. I mean, yes, it is about the numbers because that's how, you know, we get money and we get sponsorships and things like that, that make it financially, um, that make this financially successful. But on top of it, every episode that we put out and here, you hear me with the excitement in my voice or you with the excitement in your voice talking about deer hunting or fishing or whatever, 
topic we're talking about. Some random person stumbles on this podcast. They listen to it and go, God, these guys are having fun in the outdoors. I need to try this. We're just spreading a positive message across the ethos. And I just hope that the the positive energy that every member of the Sportsman's Nation is putting out gets absorbed by someone who is not currently a participant in hunting or outdoor activities and it gets them off the couch and it gets them outside and we we get more people to join this community and that's a powerful thing man and i i i get jacked up about things like that and at the same time i know that if i have a, a question about dude this this deer throwing me for a loop i can i can reach out to people within this community if i need help people will help me if they need help people from our community will help them and it's just this win-win win-win scenario man yeah what i like about it too is you know if you go to the homepage of the sportsmanstation.com and like right at the top it says relatable outdoor content um everybody on this this network is reachable you mm-hmm. can like you said you can ask questions and you can give that down to earth or that relatable outdoor content or that question answered I think in a very reasonable time. And like you said, that community, everyone is only just, you know, a DM away or a text away or something like that. And that's super, that's super rare. I think in, in any industry that, that can be, um, you know, looked at from the outside as, you know, intimidating or things like that. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and on top of that, man, it, it, you know, the, the network as a whole is growing and the goal in the next handful of months and continuing to move forward is just adding more niche content from other states, adding more video on our YouTube channel and just growing it into a media company that supports the, 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 the average Joe, I guess you could say, right. right. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of content providers these days are making content for other content providers, if that makes sense. Right. So like the guy who goes out and nothing wrong with the guy who goes out, shows up to an outfitter, uh, you know, goes on seven or eight different outfitted hunts throughout a year. But I don't do that. No, (laughs) Uh, you don't do that. Like the working man doesn't do that. Right. Right. And so so I I love the relatable. Like, that's why I put that on top. Yeah. Relatable. Like. For, for me, it's got to be relatable. It stands out, man. And that's like, yeah. that's why I wanted to bring it to, you know, at least talk about it because it's yeah. relatable and, you know, we're, everybody's so accessible within this, this network and, you know, people hunting other states. And, you know, if you th- thought about it, well, most likely there's going to be a podcast on this network where you could right. probably reach out to somebody and probably get some great Intel or at least start to do your, your Intel and your checklist and things like that. It's a great spot to start. So absolutely, I, I'm excited to see what happens in the future, man. Um, where can everybody go obviously to, uh, you know, follow you if they don't or, uh, you know, find out more about you. Yeah. I think the, the, the most important thing is just to go to, uh, like Instagram would be a sportsman's nation, S P O R T S M E N S nation. Uh, and then, uh, nine finger chronicles is my podcast. Hunting gear podcast is my podcast. And then, um, sportsmen's is the website. And, and just, 
so that's a good place to start. There's links everywhere from there. And, uh, you know, again, don't forget to subscribe to the, the Michigan Outside podcast and all the other content providers that are providing relatable and excellent content from around the nation. All right, man. Well, Hey, great talking to you. Um, you know, shoot a damn doe this year and, uh, good luck this season. (laughs) Hey, good luck to you, man. All right. See ya.